We were standing on the back porch near the garden, looking out on the yard when my dad, who is the wisest person I know, was speaking to me. And he said, Jess, you're going to be your own man soon. And when you're old enough to marry a woman, I don't want you to buy a ring for her until you're prepared to provide for her for life. I mean, I'll always be here to help you, but I, w- I don't want you to owe anybody anything. And I don't want you to be indebted to anyone, especially not your future in-laws, to be your own man completely. He had spent countless hours under, underneath my old Mustang with me and digging fence post holes around the pastures and teaching me things about the tractor. And all of this wisdom that he imparted to me was best encapsulated by the words of his King James Bible spoken in deep baritone echoing off the ceiling of the great room of the house that he built for my mom. And this godly wisdom that my dad demonstrated for me and imparted to me has stuck with me all my days and I can see it now bearing fruit in my sons. And much of this comes from the book of Proverbs itself. This is written by King Solomon, the, I mean, accounting for inflation, wealthiest person ever, whoever will be, and the wisest man of all time. Now, with that great wealth, he also would later purchase his own downfall. So that adds an element of hypocrisy to his sin because he knew better. He wasn't naive. He was the wisest man ever. But the counsel that he gives his sons is nonetheless perfect and complete. As we read the book of Proverbs, the ultimate book of wisdom, we're seeing a father speak to his children. God was speaking through Solomon, just like Solomon spoke to his sons. And so as you receive these words of wisdom, I pray that you would do so as a child of God. When you read these words, would you hear your heavenly Father speak? Because we're going to cover the text that is between the two sessions of Explore the Bible. Explore the Bible will cover verses 1 through 12 of chapter 3, some of the most quotable, beautiful, amazing words in all of Proverbs. And then, then next week, we'll pick up in verse 21. And so I want to cover verses 13 through 20. So that as we introduce the book of Proverbs, as people who have never read it before can get acquainted with it, we'll go verse by verse through this whole chapter. And then we'll move more quickly and survey broader topics throughout the whole book of Proverbs later on. But I wanted to introduce the book of Proverbs and equip you for the individual reading plan if you're brand new to the book of Proverbs. But I want to cover these verses in between because in it there is a beautiful promise of get it. This is... This is so rare and so sought after in a culture that is currently, you know, on fire right now with chaos and unrest. Actual, permanent, irrevocable happiness. The happiness is not rooted in economic security. It's not rooted in a reliable government. In fact, the people who originally received these words would later be overthrown by Alexander the Great, and then they would be overthrown by Antiochus Epiphanes IV, and they would be overthrown by other cultures thereafter. They would be scattered among the nations. They would be ruled over by oppressive dictators for thousands of years, and yet these words are still true today. If they served these peoples in their times of crises, they will serve us now in this time of crisis. Actual true, 
permanent, eternal happiness. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 3 together, beginning in verse 13. Happy is a man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding. For she is more profitable than silver, and her revenue is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can equal her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left, riches and honor. Her ways are always pleasant, her paths peaceful. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her, and those who hold on to her are happy. So these verses both begin and end with happiness, and that happiness is rooted in godly wisdom. And this godly wisdom utterly eclipses all the benefits of worldly wealth. At the core, and part of the unrest that our culture is currently experiencing, much of the outcry that comes from the black community throughout the nation is rooted in economic disparity. And so I hope that even amidst the chaos and the craziness of it all, that there actually is this audacious hope for happiness despite, despite inequity or perceived inequity, despite unfair challenges and difficulties and obstacles that are in the way, that you can have true joy amidst economic unrest because your happiness is not rooted in economics. It's not rooted in wealth. It's not even rooted in what's happening outside. You can turn on the news for a minute, see the chaos unfold, and know that your house is secure, that your joy is protected in the Lord, because it's not dependent on the ever-rapidly fluctuating barometer that is a culture that is unhinged from truth itself. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. The Lord has not changed. Our joy is in Him, and there's not a single headline that could assail our happiness, because our happiness is not even in this life. Then I've got to share with you these two other verses after this teaching on happiness that is just so epic and grand in scale. It causes us to step back and see all of life and the earth itself from God's perspective. Look at this. The Lord, verse 19, the Lord founded the earth by wisdom and established the heavens by understanding. By his knowledge, the watery depths broke open and the clouds dripped with dew. When my bride and I were first married, I had this small business. You see, when God called me into ministry, my original trajectory was to be an electrical engineer. And while I was in high school, I completed part of that degree. And my plan was to go be an electrical engineering major and, be, and, and finish that, graduate early and start a co-op and get my master's early and get my PE license while I was still doing that. And I was going to go work for AT&T. And I even knew exactly where I would intern. I had all of it mapped out. And all of it would lead ultimately to a Dodge Viper. Like that was my, that was on the poster of the door of my childhood bedroom. My parents even left it up there. And I had all of this plan for this life of worldly success and, and wealth, and then the Lord called me to ministry, and so I, I just was willing to absolutely sacrifice all of that. And instead, I knew God called me to major in, okay, get this, it, it's called percussion performance, but in its most basic form, it literally is like hitting things with sticks and then hitting those things again, but in front of people. <laughs> 
So I very much like typified the trope of the millennial with a degree that makes no sense, that makes him virtually unemployable. But I knew this was what God was calling me to do. I graduated with my degree in drumming, and I did some professional drumming for a long time. That was how I paid the bills. So that, was, that was what I did, and, and God was able to bring me to performances and levels with artists that I never imagined I would ever get to even be in the same room as, much less drum with. It was really, really fun. It was really, really exciting. But God had called me to be a youth pastor. And so I was serving as a student pastor at a small church that really could only pay me peanuts, but I didn't care. I was answering God's call on my life. Now I knew that because my dad had charged me with this, like if you want to be married one day, you got to be prepared to provide for your family and never owe anybody anything. And ever since then, it's exactly what God has done, even despite financial hardship and difficulty that has assailed. I mean, like God has always provided. We've always been blessed to be provided by, you know, uh, for, from, from the Lord. And I knew that I had to start a small business to come alongside and sort of supplement what I was being paid by the church. I was a bivocational pastor. And so I started this small business where I would write music for drum lines and sell it. And I would teach the local middle school drum line. And then I would coach those students and groom those students and work with the parents of those students to develop an organization where working through the parents of the high school drum line, then I could kind of recruit and groom these students, get them ready in sixth grades for what they would play in 12th grades. By the time they even got to high school, they were already little Jedi warriors with their drumsticks. And, and man, it was really successful competitively and kids were getting scholarships and that was growing my student ministry. I mean, it was, it was really fun. I mean, I was really blessed, but I mean, at, at its most, in its peak year, like the most, the most that business of mine ever earned, like was it was was really not much to be able to pay the, the five employees that I had. Nonetheless, it was about that time that I started hearing the familiar trope of the millennial who would often be depicted through artwork that was like that was like this you know, with your hands out, ready to receive. Like, I got my college degree, now give me a job. You told me that if I graduated from college, I would get a job. So where's my job? I need the promotion, I need the money. You told me that I was entitled to this. And, and there's always this picture of what was kind of depicted as trickle-down economics. And I always looked at that sideways. That never made any sense to me. That was the polar opposite of the kind of wisdom that my dad had instilled in me and in my brother and my sister. It was the polar opposite of the kind of wisdom that my, my bride was raised in, even. It was a total reversal of the understanding of, like, how the world would actually work upon graduation, I knew that I wasn't going to get paid much for what I did. I had a degree in hitting things for crying out loud. And so I knew that, I knew that I, nobody was going to give me a job in that, but I had to create one. And so I started this micro business and I leveraged that to purchase property. And that property became income in and of itself. I never expected anybody to like give me a job. I, it's better to, you know, create one. There's nobody, in, there's never been a culture quite like this where even somebody with a percussion degree can actually create a business off of it. And, and I was utterly shocked one day, even though we, I didn't really make much money, I, th I thought for sure I had sacrificed the path unto wealth. And, and like I was uh, going about the business of trying to retire at a certain age and was saving everything and had all my ducks in a row. And uh, this was, of course, before the utter financial hurricane hit of our medical bills from our son, Aiden. But at the time, everything was kind of trucking along and it, it looked pretty good. And we, a, a study came out about the average income of millennials and we were sh utterly shocked to learn that we were in like the top 5%. It was, I was like, where, where are all the lawyers and doctors of my generation? 
generation. Why aren't they like out earning us by leaps and bounds? Like I'm a youth pastor who drums for crying out. Like what is happening? And again, I would see that same narrative of like, they're just not giving us the, the, the money. And, and for that reason, there was unrest. For that reason, that was unhappiness. And I see some parallels between that trope and then likewise, some of the current cultural narrative that, that people are hoping for an economic stimulus, an economic sense of help from, from above them on an economic ladder that would answer and assuage the unrest. And that, that would actually create true equality. And I see that same pervasive system of thought as utterly, uh, it, it's always been fallacious and it's the same thought that infected cultures of old. And it's the same thought that is making a currently presently difficult, difficult situation all the more difficult. I know that this text is a hard sell to say that wisdom is better than silver or gold, that she is more precious than jewels. I know that's a hard sell because with riches, you can buy jet skis. And wisdom would actually tell you that you can't afford the jet ski. So don't buy the jet ski. Don't put it on credit. So I know it's like the jet ski or wisdom. Wisdom or jet skis. Jet skis, please. Like I realize it's a tough sell. But what this form of wisdom offers is happiness. One day when I was walking around at, at the rehearsal of the high school that I was teaching, as part of this small business that I had, uh, I had taken a mug, this coffee mug that my bride got at a women's ministry event. And, and it was like tall and slender and it was beige with like pink trim at the top and, and like d- sort of this uh, a lavender bottom tone to it and had like this Baroque floral pattern on the handle and like a heart that was framed with a rose. And every time you would sip out of it, on the inside of the mug were written these words from Proverbs three fifteen: You are more precious than jewels. And like my self-esteem was just like through the roof. Because <laughs> I would publicly carry this mug, this pink and purple mug with hearts on it everywhere I went. <laughs> it was genuinely my favorite coffee mug. Here's the problem. Those were all sips of heresy because it's not referring to a literal woman who is more precious than jewels. It is a metaphorical personification of wisdom as a woman who is more precious than jewels. Happy is the one. Happiness is found in the wisdom of the Lord. And this wisdom is far more valuable than jewels. It's far more valuable than the revenue you could ever earn from gold. It surpasses all of these things. With this wisdom of the Lord, you can be happy on 15 grand a year in a way that a billionaire will never be happy. Like 1 Timothy 6 teaches, Godliness with contentment is great gain. This provides a new lens through which to view the chaos and the afflictions of our day. Right? My African-American brothers and sisters with the Highlands Community Church, I know, that, I know that income inequality is a big issue that is on people's hearts and minds right now. And what I believe that Proverbs 3 offers is happiness that even transcends economic ruin and disparity and inequity. That this is happiness that is rooted in the Lord. Like Paul writes, the trials and afflictions and difficulties that we experience here on earth are not even begin comparing to the eternal glory of heaven that far outweighs them all. 
Do not sacrifice your integrity, your heart. Do not, those of you who are, who are striving to make it economically, I know what that is like. Oh man, do we know what that is like. But if you're striving and fighting against a system that seems to be utterly opposed to you, like, and, and you're, you're fighting as hard as you can just to keep your head above water economically, you may, by the power of the gospel, the wisdom of the Lord, actually be happy amidst the striving, that you don't have to wait until you have blooded your knuckles to climb the sheer face and arrive up there where you're happy then. That is a lie from the enemy. You can right there with your fingers gripped within the crevices as you climb up, be happy right there while you climb. If you're not happy now, you won't be happy when you arrive at the summit. Your misery will just have more zeros and commas after it. I have seen it. It is brutal to watch. It is absolutely brutal to watch. Somebody comes under the lie that if I could just make it to that level, that stratus economically, then I'll be happy. Up there, then I will have happiness. It is a lie from the devil himself. And he will wait until you have summited and brushed the dust off your legs to show you that you are now more miserable than you were during the climb. And you'll look to the next summit, you'll climb that one, thinking if I can just get to that level, then I'll be happy. No. No, no, what this text offers is happiness right now, despite the hardship in the midst of the hardship. Happiness that comes from the wisdom of the Lord, something that is irrevocable. This word happy, when you read the Septuagint, so named for the team of rabbi scholars who provided the translation, it is the translation of the Old Testament, which was originally written in Hebrew, into the Greek language. Jesus in the New Testament, when speaking in Greek, quoting the Old Testament, would quote the words of the Septuagint, which to me validates the Septuagint as a legitimate Holy Spirit-inspired translation. And thus, manuscripts that draw from the Septuagint are ratified as per Jesus's use of the Septuagint. So in the Septuagint, when it translates this word in Proverbs 3, of happiness, it translates it into the Greek word makarios. Makarios is the same word that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, speaking of the permanent state of blessedness of those who are poor in spirit, the, the, the blessedness of the peacemakers, the blessedness of those who trust in the Lord. This kind of happiness is permanent. It is impervious to shifting circumstances. It is beyond emotionalism, mere emotionalism. This is a permanent state of happiness and blessedness where you could strip everything away from me and I will still be blessed. I will still be makarios. I will still be, in the Hebrew, happy. Because my happiness has nothing to do with the storm that rages outside regarding material things regarding my own bank account, regarding the clothes that I wear, none of that matters. This kind of blessedness, this kind of happiness is rooted in the Lord who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is the Alpha, He is the Omega. He is the same yesterday and today and will be for all of my eternity future. 
So if your happiness has been in any way tied to waiting for somebody to give you something that they don't actually owe you and will likely never really give you, then you have held your own happiness hostage to somebody who doesn't have your best interest at heart and who sins just like you do. Instead, may your happiness be in the Lord. Godliness with contentment is great, great gain. Happy is a man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding, for she is more profitable than silver, and her revenue is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can equal her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left, riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant, her paths peaceful. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her, and those who hold on to her are happy. I, I've seen sometimes the way in which happiness, or rather, rather wealth and wisdom can be mistakenly conflated. They are very different things. I remember one couple when I was a youth pastor who wanted to open and close all of my services for me in the student ministry, and they didn't actually have the gift of teaching. They'd kind of always been there, and they expected to be grandfathered in, and the student ministry was like really small compared to the size of the church. Like it should have been much bigger than it really was at the time. And, and these lessons weren't connecting. They always seemed to come back to the couple's own wealth, which was tremendous, by the way. And I could see right away that they weren't serving where they were best gifted to serve. And so I had to speak with them and ask, like, uh, I'm, I'm going to take this over. And, uh, and thank you for stepping in the gap faithfully. But I uh, mean, I'm here, and, and I would love to help you find another place to serve within ministry somewhere here at our church. That night, I got a call from one of the campus pastors who had been dispatched on me by the couple, and I was given a reminder of just how ample that couple's tithe was to the church. And so my answer was, okay, then they are never serving in this ministry. Like they, they enjoyed having a platform where they could talk about their wealth. If you operate under the, the view that like everybody everywhere all the time is trying to become as wealthy as they possibly can, then you will inevitably view people who are less wealthy than you, especially those who started off at the same kind of starting line that you did, you will always view them as less wise than you. But what this foolish worldview utterly precludes is there's this thing called, you know, a higher calling, and that it is actually quite noble and admirable to forsake the pursuit of wealth exclusively in the name of God's calling on your life, that there are people who answering God's call onto the mission field will sacrifice all the things of this world, count them all rubbish compared to the all-surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, and that even though somebody could be making a billion dollars in a given industry, they've chosen instead to live in a hut in Uzbekistan and share the gospel with 12 kids, and that's their life, and they will stand before God who will tell them, well done, good and faithful servant. And they know, they know that they are not storing up for themselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal like Jesus teaches. Rather, they're storing up for themselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And they will abide there for eternity, forever in the fellowship and the glory of God. God, where their work in the Lord has never been in vain. It is eternal in scope. It cannot expire. It never runs out of dividends. Its market value never plummets, and it lasts forever, whereas the things that we accrue in this lifetime last as long as we look both ways before crossing the street. Which of these 
realms is your success in? The temporary or the one that lasts forever? Like Jim Elliott, famed missionary and martyr, said he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Where is your treasure? Is it in the things of this earth that are expiring? Or is it in the things of the heavenly future forevermore? Because if it is there, if it's in heaven, then nobody could take it from you. Nobody could subtract one iota of your joy. And no matter how the world rages and regardless of the injustices visited upon you, your joy is intact. That's the case at my house. It does not matter how much the world rages, empathetic though we are, standing shoulder to shoulder with people who are afflicted, our eternal sense of joy is impervious. Our blessedness is permanent because it's in the Lord. It's in the gospel. It's in Jesus. And he's on the throne regardless of what assails our culture today. Happy, truly, actually, genuinely, permanently happy is the one who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding. Do not mistake wealth for wisdom. They're different things. There are some people who would pursue godly wisdom, and in so doing, forsake wealth. Do not then be the wealthy fool who thinks yourself wise. Do not look down on others who make less money than you because there could be some of them who are greater than you in the kingdom of heaven forevermore because they have sacrificed worldly affluence in the name of eternal significance. And likewise, likewise, don't look down on those who are wealthy like the Proverbs is going to show us, both of these are made in the image of God. There are people who have become wealthy because of their wisdom. This is another thing within the cultural ether that I find unhealthy and inaccurate. Wisdom and wealth are different things, and we've just read a text that describes wealth as one of the possible outcomes of wisdom. Did you see this? In verse 16, what is in wisdom's left hand? Long life is in her right hand, and in her left, riches and honor. Would you raise your children, not grooming them for worldly success, but grooming them in godly wisdom, and then let wealth come if it may or not? If you raise a rich jerk, you failed. But if you raise a young person, if you raise your child in godly wisdom, then you can be proud of them if they pursue God's calling on their life that leads them not to a state of affluence, but to obedience to Him. And you can be proud of them if God gives them wisdom that allows them to become very successful and very wealthy. And you can watch what God does even with their wealth. Okay, after they've paid a few grand for the jet skis, praise God for what He does through them and their giving to their church and the ministry that they make possible and the lives that they change. There's so many whom God makes wealthy because they're able to do ministry that others would not. If you're under the impression that if I could just get wealthy, then I could be generous like that, you're under a delusion. If you're not generous now, you won't be generous when you're wealthy. If you're not happy now, you won't be happy when you're wealthy. Wisdom and wealth, different things, and the happiness comes from the wisdom of the Lord. Let wealth come if it may, if that's God's will. God's always going to provide for you. He takes care of the birds there. He's going to take care of you. But if you're caught up in the pursuits of this world and worldly things, you're going to fall prey to several traps that will actually sabotage your quest for joy. Here's 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 6. 
But godliness with contentment is great gain. For if we brought nothing into the world, we could take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, Flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And the presence of God who gives life to all and of Christ Jesus who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. This is Paul's charge to his protege, Timothy. There's been difficulty and economic, economic hardship that has befallen people in our church There have been layoffs, there have been furloughs, there have been cuts in pay. I pray that the text of Proverbs 3 would hold sway over your very innate sense of happiness, that your happiness might be impervious to a fluctuating economic situation. If you need help, would you reach out to Highlands Community Church? Thank you because of your faithful giving, because of your generosity. Because of our benevolence fund, we are here to help those who are in need. So would you reach out? Let's see if we can help. These final two verses are a game changer. I once showed my wife this Pottery Barn catalog, and I was like, show me your favorite table. And she was like, the cheapest table in that catalog is like a billion dollars. And I was like, I know, but just show me which one is your favorite. And she showed me her favorite table on the catalog because you know, we just kept cranking out kids at an alarming rate, and we just kind of ran out of seats at the table. Um, so I took the catalog to a friend of mine who was a carpenter, and I was like, can you replicate this? And he could. So he came over to my garage. I had my bride pick out her favorite dining chairs, and I sat in one of those dining chairs in my garage, and I squatted down in the chair, and I sat in the chair like this, and I put my hands in a praying position. I said, Me- measure from the bottom of, of the elbow down to the ground, and that's the, that's the height of this table that he built. It's primarily a praying table. However, we also leave it in the dining area and we eat all of our meals at it. But it's primarily a praying table. And I know this is like one of those hippie, weird Christian things, but I just, it meant a lot to us to be able to do this and to pray as we had it built. And I'm a super like sentimental guy. everything Everything I do has some sort of like underlying spiritual, you know, like sappy ritual to it. I'm sorry, but... Uh, I, I, I wrote on the underside of the table as we were staining it. And, and I, I, wrote, I, I wrote Romans 10, 9 in this one spot at the table because I knew that like when we had people over at the house for dinner and if there's somebody that I was hoping would come to Christ, I would a- ask him to sit right there. And we saw, we did. We still saw, saw somebody give their life to Christ right there. 
And I, I, I had this other spot at the table where I, drew, I kind of drew this rectangle where I knew I would set my Bible. I said, this is where I set my Bible and I preached through the whole Gospel of John verse by verse at livebible.tv. It was this website that I built to preach the Gospel of John. And then I, I wrote something I wrote something else that my wife's into the table, but that's none of your business. And then I had this other spot and I wrote a rectangle under the table and I said, this is where I set my Bible to teach my kids Proverbs. Okay, this is 100% true. It's accurate. I'm not embellishing. My bride can confirm. My kids can confirm. And then I just, I, I took this photo yesterday. Here, here's a photo of that table with that Bible in that spot at the table. When... A committee came to interview us in Nashville. We had them over to our house, and that same table was there. And uh, I noticed a flash of light from under the table, and it's because Glenn Jocelyn had heard me talk about this table before and wanted to see if I was making it up. <laughs> and so this is perfectly acceptable. If you happen to, if you happen to ever be at our house for dinner, you, I promise you can look under our table, and it won't be weird, okay? <laughs> I've been teaching my kids the book of Proverbs because this is the ultimate source of godly wisdom. And that wisdom is going to give them joy that is irrevocable, that is permanent, regardless of whether they are wealthy or comparatively poor. I know that if they have godly wisdom, if everything is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then that is the absolute best thing that I can give my kids. That we not equip our children merely for the temporary and neglect the eternal that matters all the more. Rather, give them wisdom. Raise them with a the fear of the Lord. Demonstrate it to the best of your ability. And then watch the gospel shape their very worldview. The very lens through which they interpret what's happening on the news right now. The very lens through which they process how the world works. May it be shaped by the very same worldview from which the earth was even created. The Lord founded the earth by wisdom. This was not an arbitrary, inexplicable explosion. It was founded upon wisdom and established the heavens by understanding. Don't you see? Just see the traces of this everywhere. And you see the beautiful intentionality behind all of creation. By his knowledge, the watery depths broke open and the clouds dripped with dew. When God said, let dry ground appear and let there be a chasm beneath the waters to separate it from the waters above it on the uh, on the, the third day of creation, as God created even the, the hydrological cycle, he was creating something that could not have come about through arbitrary means, and it is absolutely integral to the sustaining of all life on this planet that even as this hydrological cycle was created, it was evidence of the wisdom upon which the whole universe is based. This is the worldview that I'm trying to give my kids. Now, the jury's still out on whether or not I'm a good dad. Okay, I don't know. I know my wife's an amazing mom, but like, I don't know. My kids are still really young. One of them could turn out to be an axe murderer. 
We don't know yet, but I do know that so far, the Lord has come alongside and more than made up for my own insufficiencies as a dad. And I'm absolutely blown away to watch the Holy Spirit raise my kids. I had this talk about the birds and the bees with my oldest son and his response, his response was not scripted, not prompted. I never even said these words like this, but he just instantly said, dad, the gospel makes everything make sense. Raise your children and reassure your own heart with a godly sense of wisdom whose roots are in the same founding of the earth itself. That it is upon wisdom that the Lord founded the earth and established the heavens by his understanding. By his knowledge, the watery depths broke open and the clouds dripped with dew. This is by the wisdom of God, by the understanding of God, by the knowledge of God. Would you give them that same basis for their wisdom? And you'll see how it utterly outweighs worldly wealth in every conceivable fashion. And you will then have right here, as a son of God, a daughter of God with wisdom that transcends the chaos that assails our culture, you can have impervious peace. Now, if this sounds like a good invitation to you, if this crazy world is getting to you and you could have some unshakable joy right now, would you step into your adoption day as the Holy Spirit of God draws on your heart? If God is working on your soul right now, if you have been utterly weighed down so badly by the chaos that assails and the economic hardship that has befallen you in the midst of this, would you step into this joy that is permanent, that, is, that has absolutely nothing to do with your economic status in life? Would you step into it right now as the Holy Spirit of God is drawn upon you? Pray with me, pray with me right now, pray with me. God, I believe that you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son, that if I would believe in him, I would not die, but have everlasting life. God, I confess that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I confess that the wages of my sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I believe you, Jesus, when you said that you are the way and the truth and the life, and there's no way I can come to you, Father, except through Jesus. So right here and now, drawn upon by the Holy Spirit of God, I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Would you confess that Jesus is Lord right now? Say it. Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart, oh God, that you raised Jesus from the dead. Now, God, let me be saved. Let me be saved. Let me be saved. My joy is in you. My wisdom comes from you. I will not trust in the things of this world that shift like sands. No amount of money or security of a paycheck actually secures my soul. Lord, my understanding is based upon the founding of the earth itself, and that is your wisdom, your knowledge, your understanding. Lord, there is a place prepared for me, and that is where my hope lies. And nothing, nothing, nothing in this world, no layoff, no furlough, no budget cut, no riot, no racial injustice, no public murder at the hands of a policeman, nothing can take away my joy because it awaits me in heaven. In Jesus' name.